Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. So, um, thank you for your prayers. We are back. We're home. We, um, we're good. God is on the throne still, and uh, right? And God answers prayers. And at some point, I will share with you the details of my story, but uh, I didn't think you'd want a blubbering idiot up here today, so I'm going to give it a little bit of time till I can, so, so that I know that I can share it without being in a fetal position up here. But, uh, but it's, good. It's, it's powerful, God's faithfulness. If you're praying for a loved one, don't give up, because God is faithful. And uh, so today I want to talk about something. This, this is um, going to be one of those words where it, it might offend some people, and, and I, I'm certainly not one of those guys that sets out to do that, um, I, you know, it would break my heart if it offended you. But on the other hand, um, I have to be true to what I feel like God is telling me and and through His Word. And uh, and we live in a culture today where you can't even have a difference of opinion, and you're labeled as a hater, or you're labeled in a certain way, and you can't even have dialogue anymore. And so today, I just want to. Uh, get into God's Word and, and speak to some things that I see happening in our culture that we live in. And, uh, and, I, and I believe it's a warning for Christians, honestly, because I feel um, that I see a lot of, lot of things in the church world kind of moving in a, in a, in a pagan direction at times. And, uh, man, we can't get away from God's Word, the cross, um, you know, salvation by grace and faith in Jesus Christ. We can't get away from any of that. Um, it can't be about us. It can't be about our comfort. And um, there's things I see that bother me, um, and they, I know they probably bother you. But, you know, this is not the first go-around. This is not the first time things like this have, have taken place. And um, you'll find when you read the Bible that everything is, is it secular? Secular? You know what I'm trying to say. Everything, it seems like it, it repeats itself. And so um, I want to talk about the story that probably all of you have read and, and loved, and that's the, the story about Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. I've entitled the message today, Showdown, because Elijah was my kind of guy. He, he said, let's, let's just get down to it and let's just see who's God. And I, and I love the story. Um, Israel was going through a time in their history where if you were a follower of Jehovah, uh, you probably felt like it was hopeless. You probably felt like because culture had turned so pagan that um, there was no way that, that the nation could ever come back to God because of the things that they would see. And the deception among the Jewish people, uh, a lot of them were abandoning the ways of God and pursuing um, this new pagan religion that the government was was pushing for. And um, you know, some people had uh, half a leg in one and half a leg in the other, and, you know, uh, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, the Word says. Um, we're going to pick it up. It's about 100 years after King David had died, and the current king is a man named Ahab, and he has a famous wife that all of you have heard. His wife's name is what? Jezebel. And I've never seen anyone name a child Jezebel in my whole lifetime. Have you? Can you imagine how bad that would be? This is my daughter Jezebel. She's 13. That would be so bad in every way. That name, it's safe to say that name pretty much stopped there, I think. So 
Uh, in 1 Kings 16, we're going to pick it up in verse 29. I kind of want to just share with you a little bit about Ahab and the kind of uh, man that he was, the kind of king that he was. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. Ahab, son of Imri, was king over Israel for 22 years. He ruled from Samaria. Ahab, son of Omri, did even more open evil before God than anyone yet, a new champion in evil. It wasn't enough for him to copy the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. No, he went all out, first by marrying Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. Notice her father's name has the word Baal in her father's name. And then by serving and worshiping the god Baal. He built a temple for Baal in Samaria and then furnished it with an altar for Baal. Worse, he went on and built a shrine to the sacred whore Asherah. He made the God of Israel angrier than all the previous kings of Israel put together. So by marrying Jezebel, she brought with her this pagan idol worship to to a false god by the name of Baal. And um, so many times when we read these Old Testament stories, you know, we can say, well, I don't see um, a large bronze image of Baal, so we must not be worshiping Baal in our society today. But there's a spirit of Baal that I see that is almost exactly like the one that we're going to read about this morning that has, that, that has continued to creep and have influence in our culture and society. We wouldn't call it Baal worship um, but there's a paganism that is happening in our culture that is identical to the Baal worship that Israel took part in. Uh, Jezebel introduced this paganism into Israeli culture, and the government was pushing for Baal worship and all of its practices. And, and, and uh, there was no regard for the things of God or the commandments of God, kind of like today. In fact, there were so many similarities between our culture today in 2019 and the culture of Elijah's time, it it seemed that that most people, most average people were buying into the lie of this paganism um, and worshiping the false god Baal. Um, Everything came to a head. The uh, king and queen were putting pressure on the prophets of God, persecuting them, killing them, going after the people of God that were holding out. Um, and I, and I don't know if you've noticed, but if you're, if you're a person of God, you follow God, you, you find that the persecution is ramping up, even in social settings. You can't have an opinion different than the majority of the opinion or you're, you know, there's something wrong with you and, and you're a hater and you're this and this and that. And, and, and it's, it's very, um, discouraging sometimes because you want to just have a conversation um, everything came to a head, and the prophet Elijah wanted a showdown. And if I was really good, I would have had the background music of ELO playing the song Showdown when I walked up here, but I didn't even think about that till just now. But that would be so cool, wouldn't it? Um, um, so Elijah wanted a showdown on the top of Mount Carmel so that the people would know once and for all that 
and he and listen, he wasn't forcing anything on them. He just wanted a display of the glory of God. And if and if God be God, worship him. If Baal be God, worship him. But Elijah wanted a showdown to show the whole nation that God is still on the throne. So this is going to be a crazy crowd this morning here. First, First Kings 18. I'm going to read the story. So um, if you're following along, 1 Kings 18, it says, The moment Ahab saw Elijah, he said, So it's you, old troublemaker. It's not I who has caused trouble in Israel, said Elijah, but you and your government. You've dumped God's ways and commands and run off after the local gods, the Baals. Here's what I want you to do. Assemble everyone in Israel at Mount Carmel, and make sure that the special pets of Jezebel, the 450 prophets of the local gods, the Baals, and the 400 prophets of the whore goddess Asherah are there. So Ahab summoned everyone in Israel, particularly the prophets, to Mount Carmel. Elijah challenged the people, How long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is the real God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. Make up your minds. Nobody said a word. Nobody made a move. And then Elijah said, I'm the only prophet of God left in Israel. And there are 450 prophets of Baal. Let the Baal prophets bring up two oxen. Let them pick one, butcher it, and lay it out on an altar of firewood. But don't ignite it. I'll take the other ox, cut it up, and lay it on the wood. But neither will I light the fire. And then you pray to your gods, and I'll pray to God. The God who answers with fire will prove to be, in fact, God. All the people agreed, a good plan, let's do it. Elijah told the Baal prophets, choose your ox and prepare it. You go first, you're the majority. Then pray to your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the ox he had given them, prepared it for the altar, and they prayed to Baal. They prayed all morning long, Oh, Baal, answer us. But nothing happened. Not so much as a whisper of breeze. Desperate, they jumped and stomped on the altar that they had made. By noon, Elijah had started making fun of them, taunting, Call a little louder. He is a god after all. Maybe he's off meditating somewhere or other, or maybe he's gotten involved in a project, or maybe he's on vacation you don't suppose he's overslept, do you, and needs to be waking up? And they're just freaking out and getting so much more angry. They prayed louder and louder, cutting themselves with swords and knives, a ritual common to them until they were covered with blood. This went on until well past noon. I hear music, by the way, you guys. I don't know if you guys hear that. They used every religious trick and strategy they knew to make something happen on the altar, but nothing happened. Not so much as a whisper, not a flicker of response. Then Elijah told the people, enough of that, it's my turn, gather around. And they gathered, and then uh, he then put the altar back together, for by now it was in ruin. So this is key. The altar of the Lord used to be on Mount Carmel because of lack of use, and they were worshiping other gods. The altar was in ruins. The first thing Elijah did was rebuild the altar of God. 
Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Jacob, the same Jacob to whom God had said, from now on your name is Israel. He built the stones into the altar in honor of God. And then Elijah dug a fairly wide trench around the altar. He laid firewood on the altar, cut up the ox, put it on the wood, and said, fill four buckets with water and drench both the ox and the firewood. And then he said, do it again, and they did. Then he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. The altar was drenched, and the trench was filled with water. When it was time for the sacrifice to be offered, Elijah the prophet came up and prayed, O God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make it known right now that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and that I'm doing what I'm doing under your orders. Answer me, O God, answer me and reveal to this people that you are God, the true God, and that you are giving these people another chance at repentance. Immediately, everyone say immediately. Immediately, the fire of God fell and burned up the offering, the wood, the stones, the dirt, and even the water in the trench. And all the people saw it happen and fell on their faces in awed worship, exclaiming, God is the true God. God is the true God. Thank you. Thank you. Elijah was calling the people to fully commit to God and stop dividing their hearts between this Baal, this pagan uh, system, and God. Elijah wasted no time in drawing a line in the sand. And he said, if Baal is God, then worship him. If God is God, then worship him. And what he was doing is he's saying, you guys need to get off the fence and start either going after God or go after the false God. Of course, he didn't want them to go after the false God because he knew God was going to show up. The compromise and the mixture needed to end. And, and it was a showdown of epic proportions. So I've written a few thoughts I want to share with you today that I've pulled from this story that will prepare us for the culture that we find ourselves in today. The first thing is activity and enthusiasm doesn't always mean that God is in it. There was a lot of activity on that mountain that day, and there was a lot of enthusiasm. But God wasn't in it, was it? And we see that they were sincere in their efforts, but they were sincerely wrong. The God Baal, I want to just unpackage this a little bit and just kind of share with you, and and I encourage you to do research on this. It's literally mind-blowing when you see the similarities between the God of Baal of Elijah's time and the, the current pagan culture that we find ourselves in today. It's the same spirit. Uh, the people of Israel desired a relevant God because many thought that the God Jehovah that rescued their ancestors from the wilderness was kind of outdated. And a lot of those commandments and principles were outdated because of the current culture. And they, they desired a God that was more relevant, uh, that, that was the God of their, their neighbors, a new God. And so, you know, I hear things today, I read things today, even from preachers sometimes that, that have made statements like Jesus' teachings are not relevant today, or the Bible is not relevant in the 21st century, or, and this is more, not so much as a statement, but more of a, 
an action that I see among people, that we cannot use a moral code or stick to a moral code that does not reflect how people actually live today. We are constantly in our office being challenged by some of our stands when it comes to um, marriage and, and, and just other things um, because just because everyone's doing it a certain way today doesn't mean that God is in it. And, and so um, the people really wanted a God that would serve them. And isn't that our culture today? We just want a God that's going to make us feel good and, and, and just uh, give us what we need. And, and you know, we do, we do the least amount possible, and we, we, just, we just want to feel good. We want to feel like we've, like we've been touched. But history tells us that Baal worship was particularly de- a degrading religion. It was a bizarre mixture of idolatry and perverted sexuality. And the big part of Baal worship was child sacrifice. In the cult of Baal, uh, you had sacred prostitutes right there in, in the altar of Baal, in, in the temple of Baal, and fornication and illicit sex were a big part of the worship of Baal. You literally took sexuality out of the marriage and put it in the public square, in the middle of public culture. Now, if that's not something that we see today, I don't know what, uh, I must be crazy, but, 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 but sexuality has been taken out of the marriage bed and put on full display to the culture in, in many different ways. And then the pressure is that we are old-fashioned and that what we're thinking and, and our values are outdated. The practices um, of Baal brought confusion to biblical sexuality. Then you had the sacrifice of children. So they had a big bronze statue of Baal, and his hands would be like this, and it had a a bull's head over the head. It was a bull's head, and there would be a raging fire, and it was considered a sacred honor, a, a, a religious experience to take your baby and put the baby in the hands of this this idol, and the baby would roll until the arms, the arms were opened up. The baby would roll down into the fire and be burned alive. Tens of thousands of babies were sacrificed, and it was considered a sacred religious experience to do this. It was a badge of honor to be able to sacrifice your child to Baal. Let's look at today's spirit of Baal that I see in our culture and how similar we are to Israel Israel was a nation that had known God, but then had turned away from God and turned to Baal, this pagan mindset. Baal is the anti-God. It is against everything that God would hold true. He's a substitute God. Baal is a God of apostasy, of turning away from God. See, the problem is once you create your own God, you can create your own truth. And once you create your own truth, you can overrule everything because my truth is different than your truth. You call good evil and evil good. It's basically relativism because you're creating your own truths. And the worship of Baal was not just about the worship of a false god, but it was a precursor to the denigration of an entire culture that found themselves away from God. 
It was a move towards carnality, living in, in the carnal, in the flesh. It was a move towards materialism because, you know, it was all about what you could get. And it was a move towards sexual immorality. Sexuality in our culture has been taken out of the marriage bed and put in the public square. In our culture, sex outside of the covenant of marriage has been normalized, and even gender has been deconstructed. And our culture calls that normal, and if you have an opposing view, that is abnormal, calling good evil and evil good. See, the same spirit is in the world today. It's the world system. It's the world culture that we find ourselves in. Let me talk about the the child sacrifice thing. Child sacrifice is now standard in our culture today of America. Do you know that we have killed over 60 million babies? And the thing that grieves me is that our government will stand up there and celebrate it and laugh and cheer and light up landmarks in honor of that. Let me just say this. What I'm about to share is much bigger than your personal opinion on this issue. So don't email me and write me because I'm not going to debate with you if you have an opposing view. I just want to give you some facts, and you make up your own mind. This is is something I want you to think about. Earlier I said that in Baal worship, the sacrificing of your children was a sacred religious experience. Remember that. Well, I want to read to you just one of many, just one of many, uh, a, a, a... feminist author that just wrote this a couple of years ago. Her name is Jeanette Paris, and and her book is called The Sacrament of Abortion. I want to read to you some quotes. She said this. She said, it is, quote, it is not immoral to choose abortion. It is simply another kind of morality, a pagan one. Another section of her book, quote, our country needs new rituals as well as new laws to restore abortion to its sacred dimension, unquote. What, what sacred dimension could she be talking about? She goes on to say, quote, Abortion is a sacrifice to Artemis. Abortion is a sacrament for the gift of life to remain pure, unquote. Artemis was a pagan fertility god. That was, it was an idol worship, it worshipped in that time from the Greeks. So she's basically spelling out right here what the spirit is behind this. Baal was the god to whom they sacrificed their children, before whom they practiced sexual immorality, before whom they called good evil and evil good, and whose name Israel uh, persecuted the prophets and the people of God, which we're finding that today. So just because you're enthusiastic and you're busy with activity doesn't mean that God is in it. Second thought I want to mention today is that faith can be misplaced. Faith can be misplaced. So I'm going to say something that it's going to cause you to wake up if you've fallen asleep there. And that's this. Faith is not the important thing. Faith is not paramount. Oh, man, some of you are getting ready, man. You're going to send that email Monday morning. Send it to Ben Rossa. It's his birthday. He's our venue coordinator today. The people who followed Baal had faith in it, right? The people had worshipped Baal all of their lives. They believed in Baal. They had faith in Baal, so much so that they would sacrifice their babies to Baal. 
But their faith was worthless because the object of their faith was worthless. It's not faith. It's the object of your faith that's important. Faith doesn't get you into heaven unless it's faith in God and his son Jesus Christ. So, so what should we do? The very first thing that Elijah did, and I, and I mentioned this when I was reading, is that, that in, in preparation for God to move, for God to show himself, Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord. And I just want to encourage you as people, as individuals, that if you have strayed from spending time with God and, and, and having an altar in your life to God, the first thing that you could do is to rebuild and repair the altar that is broken down because of lack of use and start to find time and get with God and get into his word and hear it because the Bible says that in the end times, even the very elect will be deceived. Why is that? Because of their lack of knowledge of God's word. If you're going to survive and be effective in this day and age, you need to know God's word and his principles. And just because culture says that this is the way that is acceptable and the way that you should live today doesn't mean that God says it. Idolatry and apostasy have been prevalent for so long that God's altars have been broken down and Elijah was now rebuilding them. Elijah was really just putting God in his rightful place. Does God have his rightful place in your heart? Does God have his rightful place in your relationship? Has his altars in your life been in a state of disrepair? Who holds first place on the throne of your heart? Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul said, He is the head of his body, which is the church. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir and resurrection, he is the most exalted one, holding first place in everything. It's got to be about him and him alone. Now, you just need to know that when you make that decision and you go after God and you say, God, it's going to be all about you, that you are going to get raked over the coals in our culture because you are going against the grain. You are swimming upstream. Wide is the road to destruction, but narrow is the path to salvation. I just completely paraphrase that. It sounded really good, but I know it's in the Bible. You know what I mean. You know the verse. It's easy to run with the crowd, the majority of opinions. But God's looking for a guy like Elijah that'll stand up and say, you know what? I, I, don't, I follow God. This is what God says. God's looking for someone like that, guy or girl. Number three. This is my closing point. The faith you live by better be good enough to die by. The faith you live by better be good enough to die by. So Mount Carmel was a strategic place. It was a, um, it was a huge mountain. In fact, that's, that's Mount Carmel in the background there. That's, that's the Mount Carmel. And I'm going to be there in November. You're going to see me running across the top of that. We're going to Israel in November, and I'm bringing my Bible. I'm going to do, just so you know, I'm going to do live Facebook devos from Israel. Wouldn't that be cool? 
We're going to charge $10 a minute. And uh, so from the top of Mount Carmel, you would have a commanding view in all directions. <coughs> so militarily, politically, um, it, was, it was the place to be. And, and uh, whoever held Mount Carmel controlled the northern half of the nation. Whoever controlled the worship that took place on Mount Carmel controlled the nation spiritually. The priests and the prophets of Baal knew that. That's why years earlier they built an altar to Baal on top of Mount Carmel. And what I love about Elijah is that Elijah was willing to put everything on the line in the most visible place possible. I mean, it would be easy for you and I to have a showdown if it was like in the back field where no one was watching in case God didn't come through. Well, but Elijah, one man against 850 false prophets and then a whole nation watching, one man said, I'm going to put it all on the line on top of the mountain so everyone can see. That's faith. And even when he poured all of the water on the wood and, and drenched the, the, the uh, trenches and filled everything up, why did he do that? Because the pagan priests were notorious for trickery. And they, they, would, they would deceive people with false signs and wonders because the devil doesn't have the same power as the God we serve. So he has to... Uh, he has to um, um, yeah, what, what's the way you, where you copy it? What's that called? Counterfeit. He has to counterfeit everything. Man, the older I get, it's getting harder and harder to think of words. You know, I'm glad you guys are with me. I'm going to need your help from this point on. After setting all the pieces of, of, of the, the sacrifice on the altar and he drenched everything with water, Elijah was just looking for an authentic visitation from the God of Israel. And honestly... Um, in the culture we live in, it's, it's so crazy because people are, it, people are fickle. You know, it's like people, if it's a sunny day, wow, we can go to the beach and spend all day with our family and do this and do that. And that's, I mean, that's great. I'm not saying that's bad. But I find that more, the older I get and I watch people's lives, the things of God get lower and lower on the list. And then in a few years, then they want to consume all my time to counsel their family because their kids are away from God. That's the reality of it. And so we, listen, um, if God is God, then make him priority. Make him first place in your life. Do the hard things so that your kids that are watching you realize that, that, that that's that much of a priority in my mom and dad's life is going to be that much of a priority in my life. As I close today and the band's going to come out, Prayer was a habit in Elijah's life. And in James 5, I love this. It kind of talks about Elijah a little bit. It says, confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another and then pray for one another to be instantly healed for tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. Elijah was a man with human frailties, just like all of us, but he prayed and received supernatural answers. He actually shut the heavens over the land so there would be no rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again and the skies opened up over the land so that the rain came again and produced the harvest. God built up the faith of Elijah 
in the quietness of the brook, in the home of a widow, walking in the wilderness. God builds your faith up, not so much in the big events, but in the small things. So that when your faith is needed in the big moment, when you have a showdown on Mount Carmel and you draw a line in the sand, your faith comes through because you have fully trusted in God like Elijah. Look at the odds Elijah was facing, 850 to 1. <laughs> Don't you love it? I mean, Iron Man and Thor and all these guys, they can't even hold a candle next to a guy like Elijah. They act in front of a green screen and then they fill everything in by computer. That's nothing. That's stupid. And I love those movies, by the way. But this is the real stuff. The real question is this, is that is Baal the real God or is God the real God? That's the same question today that's being challenged on a daily basis in our culture. Same question. And I pray that our response today is, no, God is the real God. I'm tired of counterfeit. I'm tired of trickery. I'm tired of the, the, way, the way of this world leads to destruction. You need to know that. Now, I don't want you to be discouraged because when I read about times like this, even times uh, when the early church was started, when Jesus was crucified, it was a pagan culture anti-God. We live in a post-Christian culture. Do you know that? But when I think back just in, in, in the book of Acts and the early church, how what God was doing through them and changing the community where thousands were coming to Jesus every day and, and there was life and there was community and there were needs being met and God was revealing himself through signs and wonders and, and there was you know, so where, where sin abounds grace does much more abound. And so God is calling us to be culture changers. That we have the real God that we have relationship with. And that real God can it, 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 he can make a difference in people's lives because the reality is, is that every single person that, that's in the, in the, the spirit of this thing and, and, and the, in this world culture is miserable inside. And we have the answer. Could we stand? I, I kind of asked myself, how do I want to end this today? And honestly, I, I didn't really want to have a quick emotional response to it because I want it to be something that moves you deep in your soul and that there's something that shifts deep down in your soul. And I just want to ask you the question, is, is are you living like God is the real God, or are you living like, but Baal has some good qualities too. And I'm living in the ways of the world, but I'm trying to get the best of God. You can't do that. You will be the most miserable person in the room. So I just want to challenge you today to, to just fully open up your heart, fully commit and say, God, I'm, I'm having a showdown inside my heart today because I'm, I'm being pulled in two directions and that's not going to, that's going to get worse because the devil knows his, God's plans and purpose for your life and he's going to try everything he can do 
to get you off that track. And my prayer today is that everyone in this room would just say, God, I'm going to repair the broken down altar in my life. And I'm going to put you first place in my life where you deserve. And I'm going to love people with all my heart, soul, and mind. I'm going to love people. I'm going to show people grace when they don't deserve it. And most of all, I'm going to love God with everything that's within me. Even when people don't treat you right and they disagree with you and they hate you, I'm going to love them anyway. Because that's the only way that they're going to come. And the kindness of God brings repentance. The kindness of God. And so let's pray, and then we're going to worship for just a few minutes. And my prayer is that your soul has been moved deep down within and that there's some things that need to be rebuilt and changed and, and, and restored, that we become men and women of God. Because guess what? God's counting on us. We're it to change this culture. We're it. So, Father, we just thank you today, God. We thank you for your presence today. We thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit has been here. And, God, you've challenged us. And there's been some things that have been hard to hear and hard to read and hard to listen to, God. But we need to hear them because, God, we want to be used to change a generation. We want to be used to change our sons and daughters and our neighbors and our co-workers, God. We want to be the ones that lead them to an, to an eternity with you, to lead them into a relationship with you, God. God, we just pray right now, God, that you would remove all of the mixture out of our lives. And God, as we right now, just symbolically, just begin to repair the altar of the Lord in our life, that we would have an authentic visitation from you that you would transform us so that everyone that sees us would be convinced that God is God because of what they see in us. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in us. And right now, God, we're just going to lift you up because you are the real God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.